John chapter 14 tonight, would you please go ahead and get John 14 opened up in front of you, if you would, and uh, we'll get started right there. And we're getting adjusted with the microphone, so just give us all time to get that thing settled as it needs to be. Driving down the road and felt like something was wrong with uh, your vehicle, it's not moving uh, at the speed or at the rate, or there's, there just seems to be a drag on the, uh, on the overall engine, something is wrong and you can't figure out what it is. And then, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but uh, after a bit, I finally recognized, oh yeah, I had parked on a hill and I had put the emergency brake, the uh, power brake there, the emergency brake on, and then I took off driving and that brake is still engaged a little bit. I don't know if that, I hope I'm not the only klutz driver from time to time. And all of a sudden you have, there's something that's causing a drag on that, uh, on that engine and on that m machine called a car from moving. There's something that often falls apart. There's something that often happens in our lives that I'm convinced has caused us in our Christianity sometimes to have a little bit of a drag on our life and keeps us from being able to go at the rate, at the speed, at the pace, at the strength that we ought be going forward. It seems like our Christian life is just not moving forward. We take two steps forward and two or three steps back. You, you look at other people and they're talking about their prayers being answered and they're talking about victories won and they're talking about uh, <clears throat> something that's uh, the blessing of God upon their life and yet we look at our life and we go, well, well what's my problem? Why is it I just, I can't seem to get going? I can't seem to get to moving. Well, tonight, if there's anything that has, I have discovered in my life and in other people's lives that I think has kept us from being able to move forward in a spirit and a sense of victory, in a spirit and a sense of, uh, of moving at a pace in which we're seeing progress. And I see your theme for the year is that of growing. And it seems like we're not growing. We're just kind of, we hit some kind of spiritual plateau. If there's anything that has caused that to happen, I, I think it may be the subject matter. One of the things that causes it is the subject matter we're going to look at together tonight. You know, there are, there are three chapters in the Gospel of John that I call them the Great Trilogy, and they're chapters 14, 15, and 16. You actually could tie chapter 17 in there as well. These three chapters, 14 through 16, are the chapters in which Jesus is instructing, for the last time, his disciples before he goes to Calvary. Now, we're not, we're not going to certainly look at all three chapters. I'm just trying to give you the, the context. Now, I'm getting right into the sermon tonight because our hearts have been well prepared. I'm so thankful for the music choir. Thank you for your ministry to us tonight. Truly, thank you. I don't know if you had to come early. You probably did to maybe run through that and get yourself ready. Thank you. Thank you, Richard, for leading us in uh, talking about the greatness of our God and then the fact that it, it is well with our soul. And thank you, musicians, for helping us as we blended our voices together. And thank you for just being here tonight. I'm so grateful for you coming. I didn't mean to just scoot right by, right by all that and not mention it, but I am thankful that you've come to be with us tonight. And we're going to look forward to seeing you here again tomorrow night. And I'm going to just t say this to you. A lot can happen between now and tomorrow night, and you know that's so. In 24 hours, there's a lot that can happen that will put a drag on your schedule. And it would be very easy to say, ah, oh, yeah. 
I just don't think I can get back to church. Even if you have to walk in late, please do everything you can to be here tomorrow night, okay? And I look forward to seeing you here. This is a great Sunday night crowd. Love to have every single one of you back. Again, we'll do what we can to get things moving right along and make sure your kiddos get home and you get home in order to uh, get a good night's rest and then be ready to go the next day, okay? Just didn't want to overlook all that. I want to say thanks to all those who helped us to worship the Lord. Back to our passage. Chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is expressing to his disciples that he, know, that he, he is leaving them and he knows that they know it's really going to happen. But he comforts them. You know, at the very beginning of chapter 14, you know what's there in chapter 14, do you not? At the very beginning, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, don't you? Can, can you see Jesus talking to him? Well, believe also in me. Look, fellas, in my father's house are many mansions. Listen, if it were not so, you know I would have told you so. And I'm going to go and prepare a place for you that where I am, hey guys, listen to this. There you may be also. And, and if I go, I will come again. Can you see him looking at their troubled faces? I know they're familiar words to you. What's he doing? Well, he's doing what he's always done. He's comforting them because they're troubled. I love that about the Lord. Don't overlook that. You keep reading into chapter 15 and chapter 16. We read about him saying, I'm going to go to the Father. And when I go to the Father, I'm going to ask the Father that he will give you and send to you another comforter. The word another means another of the exact same kind. Someone just like me. I'm going to ask the Father, I'm going to pray to the Father that He will send someone just like me, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. And I'm going to dwell with you. And He said to them, it's really going to be better that I'm gone. They're thinking, how in the world could it be better? I'm going to, the Father is going to send the Spirit. He's going to be with each one of you. I'm going to dwell within all of you. Think about it as a human he could be over here spending time with Philip, the disciple, and Andrew's over there. He can't be with Andrew. He's just with Philip. And if he goes over here, spends time with Andrew, he can't be with Thomas because he's just one human being. But he says, I'm going to dwell each one of you. It's even going to be better after I'm gone. Jesus, once again, is expressing to them that things are going to be is vastly improved. And, and he says, I'm going to come again. But there's one verse I want us to lock in on tonight. And it's verse 26 of chapter 14. It's a verse that you've heard before. Maybe you've meditated on it before. But I want us to sit off to the side of our spiritual highway. I want you to tap the brakes here. And I want you to notice what the Bible says here. I said verse 26. I'm sorry, verse 27. The very next verse. He says this. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, that's what he said at the beginning of the chapter, but he says it again. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. By the way, that last phrase, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Guess what? It's a command. He is commanding his true followers of that day and of this day, stop allowing yourself to be troubled. 
And you could sit here tonight and say, well, easy for you to say, you're Jesus, you're the son of God. Don't forget what he's about to go through. The cross. And he says here, peace I leave with you. Sometimes you read, you see these programs and this has never happened to me. Maybe you've sat in on it where you've sat and they've read somebody's last will and testament. Maybe you've done that as a family. I've never done that. I don't know of that. You know, it's usually, they usually de, uh, uh, depict a, a situation where someone is of great wealth and he says, I leave Uncle uh, Leroy's uh, uh, vast millions uh, to uh, uh, to." Uh, uh, Patsy here and Patsy you're going to get all my millions and and then I leave with you uh, Herman I leave you my mansion and all the belongings thereof and then I leave with you cousin uh, Fred my dog you know it's like and, and Fred's going well thanks a lot you know I could have used something else I've never been in it on one of those things but here's what Jesus is saying he's saying this I'm leaving you my inheritance what is it my peace. Father, I pray that you'll help me tonight to be an encouragement and a blessing. Help us to gather our thoughts together and help us in these moments together to recognize what this has to do with each one of our lives. Spirit of God, move in our midst. I'm not going to try to manufacture something or manipulate people. Lord, that work of the Spirit of God is your job and it's not mine. So I leave this moment in these moments to you to, to declare your truth through me, your, your conduit. Please use me as only you can. We ask it in your wonderful name. Amen. I'm a, I'm a kid who grew up in the, <laughs> I hate to date myself, in the 60s and 70s. All right, that was my generation. All right, now, now, now to the small young people, that's the 1960s and 70s, all right? <laughs> No, I don't know Abraham Lincoln. I'm not, I'm not that old, okay? A lot of strange things. This world went through a great deal of uh, cultural shifting, especially in the 60s and 70s. It's an amazing thing. Did you know that many of the things that we are seeing in our world today uh, really kind of began and catapulted out of the 1960s, truly? Music took a gigantic swerve and change back there in the 60s. I mean, it was all kinds of unique things that began to take place. And there were a lot of terms. In fact, I, I can't believe this. You can find all kinds of crazy things online. I just, on a whim one time, uh, we got online. I don't remember if it was a Google search or what it was, but I began to try to find words that came out of the 60s. And it's a funny thing, all kinds of words, some of which still exist today, some of which are goofy words that I'm glad uh, flew away and drifted away. But there's a lot of strange words and vocabulary that came out of the 60s. Uh, some of you would remember words like this. It's a joke. Uh, words, <laughs> words like groovy <laughs> came out of the 60s. I'm glad that one died somewhere. And some old guy that, uh, or even a lay girl that, uh, uh, lived a certain lifestyle and uh, rarely took a bath and didn't wash their hair and so forth. They were called hippies. Uh, you may hear that occasionally. Get this. This word came out of that generation. I mean, and, and took, on the, uh, took on the term that we mean it to mean today. And that's the word cool. Hey, man, that's cool. Now, the word cool has been around for, I mean, it's like, man, it's kind of cool in here, you know. But no, I'm, I'm talking about, hey, man, that's cool. 
Well, that came out of that generation of time. You say, what's the big deal? I don't know. Just thought I'd share it with you. I thought it would be, I thought it would be cool, you know, I, just to kind of share that with you. Still with us, all right? Kind of unique words that are still out there. And uh, uh, someone would come up, and this came out of the 60s and 70s. Someone would come up, and they, instead of shaking hands, they'd say, hey, man, give me some skin. Or give me five. No, that, that, that thing has just gone into all kinds of directions. You know, it, it went from give me five or just, you know, a slapping of skin. It went to high fives and chest bumps and side bumps and who knows what all is, it, where, where will it end? I don't know. But it, it, it was born out of that era of time. You know, you'd see people, you know, slapping five, boom, boom, boom. And there was another word that came out of that, that generation and it always, and it came up today at lunch. I was reminded of today at lunch. It was kind of unique. It came along with a, uh, Holding up the two fingers. And it would help if you could slouch a little bit when you said, peace, man. Peace. And they wrote songs about it. We just want peace. And people have been looking for peace from the beginning of mankind. The world has been talking about and looking for and searching for peace from the beginning of humanity. We've all been wanting peace. Why was Adam and Eve, are you with me? Why were they hiding in the garden? Because they were without peace. And they didn't know what to do. And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. And he didn't have peace. And I can go through the scriptures and describe various different ones who didn't have peace. There was a couple by the name of Abraham and Sarah. You may have heard of them. The father of Israel, Abraham, was told by God, you're going to be the father of a mighty nation. And Abraham said, oh man, this is cool. I mean, this is great. I mean, this is wonderful. When's it going to happen? Lord, when's this going to happen? Lord. And the years began to click by. And he and Sarah were without peace. What's, what's, can, you, can you just let my servant be my son? No, you're going to have a son. Sarah says, well, just take, one, just take the handmaiden, Hagar, and, and start, a, start a, a birth of a child through, through her. And Israel's been struggling with that relationship ever since. No peace. You read the book of Job, and what do you read? Well, you read a man who at times had a sense of peace. But a lot of the times you read the book of Job, I find myself saying, Job, are you going to commit suicide? Now, I know how it turns out. But I mean, he sounds suicidal. He had no peace. Lord, where are you? I wish I had someone to get me in touch with God. He, he had no peace. I think one of the most classic stories is a story of a woman by the name of Naomi. Now, she's in the book of Ruth. I love the book of Ruth. I mean, it's an incredible four chapters that describes the, 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 the wonderful, redemptive plan of the Lord. And that's not the sermon for tonight. It's a great story. But interspersed with it is this woman named Naomi who, who was married and she and her husband. He said one day, we're getting out of Bethlehem and we're going to go to the land of Moab. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. God's people aren't supposed to be in Moab. That's not what we're supposed to be. But what did she do? She said, okay, I, I got to go. He's my husband. And they went, took their two sons with them, went over to, to Moab country. And the two boys married Moabite women. And then her husband died. And then her two sons died. 
Her world was completely uh, in a state of upheaval. And she starts making her way back to Bethlehem, back to her hometown. And as she comes in, only Ruth comes with her. You know the story. As she comes in, the women look at her and they go, are, are you Naomi? You, you sort of look like her. Now, ladies, I don't know that if after 10 years being gone, you want anybody saying, boy, you sure have changed. You don't look the same. You don't really want. And Naomi said, don't call me Naomi. The name means pleasant one. Don't name me. I'm not pleasant anymore. Call me Mara, which means what? I'm bitter of soul. I'm bitter of spirit. I have no peace. You know, when I read that with, with Naomi, I, I, I know how it turns out. You do too. I just want to scream and say, hey, Naomi, hang in there. You don't know the last chapter yet, Naomi. Because at the very end, you're going to be sitting in some kind of an old grandmother's chair, whatever she had back in that day, holding a baby. A baby that represented the family heritage and the family line. And, and she's weeping holding that grandchild. Are you with me tonight? What's the point? The point is simply this. There's a lot of people who don't have peace in the scriptures and I could go on. You say, Morris, what's the point? The point I'm trying to get to is this. It's not hard to find something to fret over and to worry about, is it? It really isn't. We come to church and we sing, how, how great is, is my God, how great is, is my God. And we sing it and we mean it. But maybe in the quietness of your own heart, you're, you're thinking, nobody knows what I'm going through. And maybe in the quietness of a day-to-day -day struggle of work or life in general, maybe in your marriage, maybe at work, maybe in your kids, maybe, maybe with your kids, maybe with your parents, maybe with some, there's, there's just an absence of a real settled peace and there's a state of worry. Let me ask you, do any of these words describe you panicked? Do you ever spend a day frantic? Worried? anxious, depressed. You don't even want to admit it to somebody at church. You don't want anybody else to know what you're going through, but, but you, you kind of cover you. Someone says, how you doing? Doing fine, doing fine. But maybe you're not. And Jesus is looking at his, are you ready? The truest, strongest Christian followers of that generation. And he says, I'm going to leave something with you. I'm going to leave you my peace. There's not a one in this room who's not had a troubled time in your life when you've thought, where did this come from? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand this. I don't understand. You know why? We're trying, most of us are trying to find peace. Stay with me. I'm just laying a foundation. Some of us try to find peace with understanding why things are happening as they are. Peace does not come in knowing why is this happening? Life's a mystery. You, want, you like to read a good mystery novel? How about just take a look at your own life? There's a lot of things that happen. You don't understand. Why is this happening? I don't understand. Peace does not come with just understanding why something's happening. Peace comes from recognizing what God has left, left with you. I'm not trying to just be pie in the sky and syrupy with my language. We're going to break this apart here in just a moment. I want you to see what the Lord Jesus is saying to these people.
Folks, listen, it only takes one phone call and the rug is pulled out from under you. It only takes one car accident and your life is changed drastically. It takes only one doctor's report and your world comes to a screeching halt. It takes just one family relationship heartache and you lose sleep at night and your world is completely changed. It only takes once. And we don't get any help in the world in which we live in, do we not? Honestly, we don't. Just watch television. You don't get any help because here comes a commercial. Commercial comes on, uh, you know, and it talks to you about how limp and unmanageable your hair is, you know. You're, 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 the shampoo that you're using is not adequate enough. And, and they show you the look of some lady who uses her, their shampoo they're promoting. And you're looking at your hair going, what's my problem? It must be that I got the wrong shampoo. Or this is the phone of the future. A few years ago, uh, there was a phone they called. They said, we, this phone has, get this, the screen of infinity. Really? You know, I mean, it, it never quits. I mean, it just keeps on going. I'm not real sure what they were trying to, they were trying to convey the fact that if you've got their phone, it's a, it just has a screen that just never quits. I mean, it just keeps on going. And then you look at your phone that costs about $1,000 and you go, what a piece of trash this is. You know, I mean, this is ridiculous. I've got to get that phone. As soon as you buy that phone, another one comes out and it tells you how, how it's even better than what you've got because the newest phone can vacuum the carpet and, and can <laughs> brush your teeth and drive a car and, and occasionally make a phone call and I mean it's just you, your phone is worthless and our deodorant is the best and, and uh, this car wash can make your car so shiny that you can comb your hair by looking at it I mean it is just a, and then the next commercial comes on and it's a commercial advertising some prescription to help you not be depressed and you think well no wonder I'm depressed it's all those other commercials that made me realize I don't have anything that I really need in life no you don't need all that stuff in life but my truth is my, the point I'm trying to make to you tonight is this depression and sorrow and fear and worry and anxiety and despair. Folks, listen, it's real. You can see it biblically. You can see it historically. And you know it personally. I'm sitting in the doctor's office two years ago. Two years ago, sitting in the doctor's office and he uses terms I've never heard of in my life. After, after an, two MRIs and some x-rays and a bone marrow biopsy, most painful thing I ever went through in my life. He looked at me and he said, you have multiple myeloma. I didn't even know what it was. I had to ask him, is that cancer? Yes, it is. And I said, can we get it? Can we just, what are we going, can we have surgery and you cut it out? I mean, what, what do we need to do? He said, we're going we're gonna to go after it. We're going to tackle it. I said, how long is it going to take? Because I got to go preach in churches and I got, I got summer camps to teenagers and I got so much, I don't, I don't have time. And he smiled and he says, it's going to take several months. In all of 2018, all 12 months of it, God put me on a sabbatical that I didn't ask for. And I would never want to go back to it but I would never take anything for what I learned. 
And I found some anchor verses. I'm just taking you to one. Verses that I anchored myself to. And this is one of them. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. Would you notice, first of all, the necessity of peace? The necessity. He did not say, some of you are going to need peace and others of you are not. He didn't say that. He said, peace I leave with you. And the word you, folks, I'm not trying to be overly technical, but the word you there is in the plural. In other words, he could have said to every one of them, you're going to need this. Are you listening, Peter? Are you listening, Andrew? Philip? Are you, Thomas? Matthew? Bartholomew? Judas? Listen to me. The other Judas. Are you listening to me? You're going to need this. Peace. I leave with you. The necessity of it. These are the strongest believers at that time. And friends, if they're going to need that kind of peace, then don't beat yourself up. Don't put yourself on a guilt trip when peace seems to be missing from your life. Don't, don't cause yourself to say, I must be the most puny, the weakest, the most shallow Christian on earth. I don't know where you are spiritually, but I will say this to you. All of God's people are going to need, find times in their life when you're going to find it necessary and needful. You're going to need peace. It is not hard to find something to fret over. It's not hard to find something to worry about. And here's what happens. When we are void of peace, guess what? It's going to affect your marriage. It always does. You don't talk to your spouse the way you should. Why? Because you're all torn up on the inside. You don't speak kindly and graciously and peacefully. You, you're not a 1 Corinthians 13 Christian. You know 1 Corinthians 13. Love is kind. Love vaunteth not itself. Love is, uh, love believeth all things, hopeth all things. It, love is a graciousness, but it, it leaves you when you're absent of peace. It's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect the way you raise your kids. You raise your kids with a raised voice and you, raise, you rear your kids with a threat upon their life and everything is, is, is unkind and everything is, is in a, a state of topsy-turvy and it all comes back to the fact that you are void of peace. Now, are there times that your kids need to be corrected? Of course. But not in a state of upheaval and anxiety. Not when you are literally in the point in which you have allowed some incident or maybe some individual Take away your peace. Sometimes it's some individual. Somebody says something to you and it just breaks your heart. Somebody says something to you that, I mean, it just hurts deeply. And all of a sudden for the next 24 hours or 48, day, 48 hours or 48 days, you are void of peace because of something that somebody said. In fact, some of you right now, truly, uh, there is something that was said to you when you were a child. Someone said to you when you were a teenager, by a teacher, by a coach, by a parent. And you've never forgotten it. It cut deep. And that peace was gone then. And if the right circumstances come along, you remember that. And that peace is gone. Sometimes it's an individual that snatches away the joy. Folks, that's why I believe in the worshiping the Lord. We come in here and we sing, oh God, it is well with my soul. I love it. We need those times. 
but come tomorrow afternoon when things are, are going tough and you're in the midst of a struggle at work or you're fighting traffic or you're in the midst of some project at school or at work or whatever, that peace is snatched away and all of a sudden you have no joy. And the fact is, we, when we have the void of peace in our life, nobody really wants our Christianity because they see nothing in us that they really desire themselves. We're just like them. We've allowed some individual to take away our joy. We've allowed some incident to take away our joy. We allow some isolation to take away our joy. There are some of you who are lonely. You wish you had a companion of life. You wish that you, wish that you had a family that would contact you and you sit at home alone and you feel isolated and lonely. There's a lacking of peace. And sometimes it's an interruption Maybe you're one of those kind of people, you love to set your schedule and you've got everything planned, everything you want to do, and you don't have room for something to come along and interrupt that schedule. I don't have time for this. And that interruption was sent by God. Can I tell you something? Every difficulty, stay with me, every storm, every trouble, every burden of every person's life was sent to us by a father who gave approval of it first. It went through his hands. He said, okay, Satan, I'll allow you to touch Job, but here are the limits. It went through the Father's hands first. And no matter what it is you go through, no matter what it is I go through, God gave permission for it first. Friends, we are in His hands. The psalmist said in Psalm 42 and verse 5, he started talking to himself. You ever talk to yourself? I mean, seriously, do you, I, I mean, people say talking to yourself is a sign of old age. If that's true, I've been old since I was about four, you know, because I've been talking to myself for years. We all do it. Listen to the psalmist. He's talking to himself. He says this, why are, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you, are you listening? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God who shall yet be the health of your countenance. Did you hear what he said? He's talking to himself. It's like, it's like he's over here looking at, at himself saying, hey, why are you troubled? Why are you cast down, oh my soul? And why are you so depressed within yourself? Come on! Hope in God! In other words, I like what the old preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said years ago. He said, there comes a point in our life in which we need to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. Because when you listen to yourself, you say, oh, I just don't understand. Why is this happening to me? I don't get this. I, I don't understand. Friends, you may never find out why it's happening like it is. You may never know. You do not live. Hear me. We do not have peace based upon an explanation. I need an explanation. Why is my family going through this sorrow? Why am I going through this physical anguish? Why am I under financial stress? Why is this happening? You don't, you don't find peace by explanation. You find peace from the revelation. And friends, I'm going to tell you, I've learned it firsthand. Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. I'm leaving this. It's a necessity. I don't think a lot of times we understand what we own. We own this. It belongs to us. It is ours. 
peace I leave with you. It's there for you. Years ago, Lynn bought us some new toothbrushes and she said, hey, I got some toothbrushes. Here's yours. And I got mine. I said, okay, thank you. And so I don't remember how many days I had been brushing my teeth with it. I'd been brushing my teeth one day with it. And uh, after I was brushing my teeth, I finished and I was rinsing my mouth out. And I was shaking my toothbrush over here uh, just to get in some last bit of uh, rinse off of it. And, I'm my mouth. and I hit the side of the sink when I did. And all of a sudden, that toothbrush started going. I looked at that thing and I said, Lynn, my toothbrush is vibrating. She said, you just now discovering that? That little button on there is not for decorations, you know. That's for you to push that. I didn't know what I had. I'm over there working hard, man. I'm, I'm working for my, my teeth. This preacher stands up here and he says, hey, God just told us something here. I'm leaving something. I leave you my peace. And we go on and live our life in a state of no peace because we don't recognize what we own. We have. We, we don't see it. We don't think on it. Because when some d- disturbing thing happens in your life, it's like, where is God? He's right there. Jesus said, peace, I live. The necessity of peace, number two, the superiority of this peace. It is far superior to anything and everything else (coughs) that you think you've got to have in order to find peace. (coughs) It is far superior. You say, what do you mean? (coughs) The world, look look at the whole verse again. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, (coughs) not as the world giveth, give I unto you. What does the world give? The world gives a cheap peace. Some of you are missing this because everything's fine tonight. (coughs) Your bills are paid. Your kids are passing everything at school. Your car runs well. You got job security, your retirement set up. The dog came home and the cat ran away. Just couldn't be any better in your home. I'm telling you, every, everything is fine. And you sit here at night and go, yeah, yeah, that's right. Brother, tell us. Yeah, that's good. We got peace. It just takes one incident. And your world's going to, you're going to need this tonight. It's not only a necessity. There is a superiority of this peace. Let me tell you something. You, you can try to find peace. Some people, you know this. I doubt if they're here in this building. Some people try to find satisfaction in a liquor bottle. Now, that may be someone here tonight, but you're not going to find peace in that liquor bottle. Some in illicit drugs. You're not going to find a satisfaction in some drug, in some illicit, illegal drug. I'm not, you're not going to find some kind of a peace in, in the gaining of wealth. I got a, I got a pay increase at job. Okay, fine. That may take care of a few bills, but I got news for you. It's not going to give you lasting peace. The world gives us a cheap version of peace. The world gives us a counterfeit version of peace. Look, we get, we get full of joy and peace when our favorite ball team wins. When your Eagles beat up on my Cowboys, you have peace. I just, I had to do something to win you back on my side. I, I made some comments this morning that probably hurt me. When your favorite team wins, you say, oh, I'm so, fa-. but how many times has your favorite ball teams let you down? And if you live for that, it's a counterfeit piece that's short-lived. 
We have peace based upon about uh, the, the counterfeit gifts of this world and all that comes our way. And may I say, as if you're living for those things, it's like cotton candy. It's sweet for a while and then it's gone. Jesus says here, this is a superior peace. He says it's, are you with me? He says it's my peace. What does that mean? This is the peace that these men, these disciples, are going to soon see Jesus when he goes to the cross of Calvary and when he dies on the cross, when, he sees pe- when they see people spit on the Lord Jesus, he doesn't revile back. When they pluck his beard out. Look, folks, when someone attacks you, when someone attacks you verbally, you remember when you were a kid, someone hit you? you it is just something that is instinctive. Jesus did not do it. Spit on, beard plucked out. People hated him and people beat on him and crammed that uh, uh, thorn uh, crown on his head and he did not fight back. Why? He had peace. He was doing what he was called and sent forth to do. And so Jesus said this. He says, that's going to be the superior peace that I'm leaving with you. Are you kidding me? You can't beat that. You just can't beat that. It's superior because of who gives it. The eternal, unchanging Son of God. Hear it. It's superior because of who gives it. The unchanging God, our Lord. It is, it is far superior. Why? Because of the fact, of, the, the, the fact that of who gives it and what it is. It is a peace that gives us complete inner calmness. At times it don't make sense. Her name was Frances. Her dad and mom loved church history and they loved that martyr by the name of Thomas Ridley. Because she was a girl, they, they gave her middle name, the name Ridley. Frances Ridley and their family name was Havergal. Frances Ridley Havergal wrote some of the most familiar songs there Songs we've been singing in church for many years. Frances was a young lady who was devoted to her Lord. As a a young teenager, she committed her life to the Lord and said, I just want my life to count for Him. And she wrote songs like, I gave my life for Thee. What hast Thou given for me? And many other great songs. She mastered eight languages brilliant and she began to write with poetry and she began to write the lyrics of songs then she got a disease a sickness that made her weak in her early 40s she never got married so she knew that part of loneliness and then early 40s she got a disease and the doctor said There'll be peritonitis. They said, there'll be no recovery from this. She went home from hearing that report. She died at the age of 42, but just after she got that word about her soon coming death, she wrote these words. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. Over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect, yet it floweth. Fuller every day. 
perfect, yet it groweth deeper all the way. The third verse, every joy or trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of Love. We may trust Him fully, all for us to do. They who trust Him wholly find Him wholly true. Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed. Finding as He promised. Here we go. Perfect peace and rest. Thou will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Thee because He trusteth in Thee. The necessity of peace. The superiority of peace. And then the third the accessibility of this peace. You say, Morris, when things go up, upheaval for me, when things are falling apart, and when, when my life is in a state of disarray, and when I'm full of panic and worry, hey, preacher, how do I get this peace? Or, okay, let the verse explain itself. Look at it again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, Neither let it be afraid. You say, preacher, I don't see anything about how I can get that peace. Uh, he says here, stop being troubled. Don't let your heart be afraid. I've left you peace. It's there. You say, well, how do I get it? It's there. I don't know how else to say it, but say it like this. We access it by faith. When I describe to you this morning, and as I would even say again here tonight, for anyone who needs to be saved, if you've ever witnessed to somebody and tried to get them to the Savior, what have you said? You have said, you are a sinner, you are bound for hell. Now, this makes sense to you now. And you say, if you want salvation, if you want forgiveness of your sin, you access forgiveness. You access His pardon. You access His grace. How? And we say it all the time, by faith. You don't have a problem with saying that tonight. Why? Because you've already crossed through that. You've accessed the grace of God by faith. What does that mean? I take him at his word. I believe him and I access it. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, by the way, now that you are my follower, I leave you my peace. So take it by faith. You say, but, but I don't feel like I have peace. And then tell your feelings to take a hike. Because his peace is there. You say, but I don't see, I don't see much peace. Then you ask the Lord to open your eyes and recognize that he's in charge. And when the storms are howling and I don't understand, you call on him and say, Lord, I need you to calm this storm. And you let him calm it as he sees fit, when he sees fit. And you say, Lord, it is in your hands. I'm in your hands. And I find myself resting in you. How do you access this peace? By taking God at his word. The psalmist said this in Psalm 27 and verse 14. He said, or verse 13, he said, I would have fainted. I would have fainted unless I would have believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Did you hear what he said? He said, I would have passed out, man. I would have fainted. I would have given up hope except for the fact that I knew that I could see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I don't know what he's doing, but I don't have to know what he's doing. I'm resting in him. Are you going through something tonight? 
There's one more thing I want you to see tonight. I've tried to describe all this and here's what I really wanted to get to. You say, are you kidding me? Well, I wanted you to see that you and I are guilty of a sin called worry and worry is a sin. Even here tonight when I start talking about worrying, some of you start saying, oh no. Are you going to preach on worry? And you started worrying about me preaching on the sin of worry. And it is a sin. Dave, uh, Paul said, be full of care about nothing. Worry about nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Stop worrying. And he wrote those words while he was in a prison. Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow. Because your worrying is not going to change tomorrow. And when you face tomorrow, you'll have enough grace to face tomorrow. You live for me today and I'll give you what you need today. Quit worrying about your food. Quit worrying about your body frame. Quit worrying about your future. I'm in charge. I'm your father. Take no thought. Quit worrying. It's a sin to do so. Access it by faith and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I don't have to know. I don't know why this problem's going on in our family. I don't know why the doctor's report wasn't what I wanted to hear. I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. But I'm going to take your peace. Why? Because of one final thing. We've seen, we've seen the necessity of peace. And we see the superiority of this peace. And we see the accessibility of this peace. But friends, finally we see the ministry of peace. You said the ministry? Yeah. Did you know, you know what this world is in desperate desire to have? <laughs> peace, man. This world wants peace. Look at me. Who can give them that peace? The only one. The Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus. You and I are to be people of peace and to communicate that peace to people who direly need that peace because of the troubles of their own personal soul. Would you turn now to John 20, just a few pages over, and with this I'm wrapping it up. In John 20, Jesus has already been crucified. He's now risen from the dead. The disciples are scared because they don't know, are we going to be crucified too? What's going to happen to us? Look at John 20. Look at verse 19. This is a little bit humorous, although if, if I had been there, I would have been the same way. Verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut... Why were the doors shut? Where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Did you see that? Don't let it pass you by. They were scared for their own life. Are you following this? They were fearful. What's going to happen to us? Jesus has been crucified. What's going to happen to us for fear of the Jews? The doors are shut and they're nervous. Their meeting said, what are we going to do next? All of a sudden, look at the middle of verse 19. Where, where they were assembled for fear of the Jews came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Now, folks, we read peace be unto you, and it's like we kind of picture Jesus. You know, you see these sacred paintings. Peace be unto you. I don't believe that for a moment. I mean, if all of a sudden you're standing around saying, you know, well, what are we going to do? All of a sudden, I mean, no door opened. Nobody crawled in through a window. Just all of a sudden, Jesus is there. I don't know about you, but I'd be, I'd be screaming like a junior high girl. I'd be saying, ah! And so Jesus said, hey, hey, no, shalom, shalom, peace, peace. Don't, don't scream. Everything's fine. 
peace. You see, he's the giver of peace. Keep reading. Look at verse 20. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad. This, this word glad means they were glad with a loudness when they saw the Lord. Notice this. Then said Jesus to them again. Here he goes again. Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Are you hearing this tonight? He is saying, peace, peace, be calm. Everything is fine. And just like the Father sent me to give you peace and to give this world peace, and you see my hands, it gives eternal peace. Even so, I am sending you now to go forth with the ministry of peace. Now, folks, this is not just some kind of little preacher outline. This is why you and I are here. We've been left here on this earth tonight to go tell others, hey, folks, I needed peace too, and I found everything I was looking for in Jesus Christ. And you can have the same peace. You can have peace in your home. You can have peace in your marriage. You can have peace uh, raising your kids. You can have peace with your job situation. You can have peace with your health concerns. You can have peace for your future. I have found everything you're looking for in Jesus Christ. You're looking for it in all the wrong places. He gives us the ministry of peace. You know, the sad thing is most of us walk around like this, you know, dragging along our wagon of all the woes and troubles. And we haven't smiled since we were seven years old. And we're just kind of getting through life saying, well, I'm doing the best I can. When I was a little kid, I used to look at grown-ups and I used to think, wow, it must be miserable to be a grown-up. I couldn't wait to be a grown-up so I could stay up to midnight and eat ice cream at late at night if I wanted to. Can't do it as a child. Then you grow up, you want to go to bed at 9.30. You know, it's like, you know, and when you grow up, you look at kids and say, boy, life sure was simple when I was a little kid. And nobody has peace. And when you live like that, nobody wants to know about your Savior. And the kids in your home are growing up saying, Daddy, Daddy goes to church, but he sure doesn't have much joy. And mom, mom's always there in her place. But boy, I tell you, there just seems to be a lack of peace in our home. The ministry of peace is to be passed on to another generation and to other people. Jesus said, I've given you the ministry of peace. Even so, send I you. The Father sent me here to give you peace. And now I'm sending you. Go, go, go. Tell people about my peace. His name was Walter Wilson. You may have heard of him before. Walter Wilson was a medical doctor. Walter Wilson was a man who, who uh, his main job was to be a medical doctor, but he, he so loved the Lord that he did everything he could to get the gospel out. He looked for opportunities. He prayed every day, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to come in contact with people who need to know about you? Please put me in contact with them. I'm your tool. Please use me. He lived in Kansas City, Missouri, died in 1969, I believe it was. Started a, a Christian college, a Bible college. Used to be called Calvary Bible College in Kansas City, and now it's, uh, it's uh, excuse me, it was called Kansas City Bible College, and now it's called Calvary Bible College there. He, 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 would, he had a radio broadcast in which he described things that he was learning from the Bible, and he'd give little 15-minute messages on the radio. And you, a unique man. 
He, he left his home in Kansas City to go uh, to do some business in another town. And as he was leaving, a friend of his said, you're going to what city? Oh, he said, Dr. Wilson. He said, my son and his bride live in that city. Now, this was long before we had cell phones and you could contact and email and so forth. He said, would you go by and visit my son and his new bride? He goes, I wish you'd go see them. Just tell them hello uh, for me. And, and Dr. Wilson said, well, certainly uh, give me their address. And he said, I'll be glad to go see them. Now, he knew uh, his friend's last name. And so uh, he went to that town. And after he took care of his business, he got a cab driver to take him over. Or maybe he rented a car. I don't know. He went over to that house, had the address, pulled up to the house. Uh, 612 uh, Oak Street. I don't know what it was. And he got out of the car and went up to the door, knocked on the door. A lady opened the door and he said, hi, ma'am. He said, are you Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Johnson? Uh, whatever. And she said, yes, I am. He said, you don't know me. He said, my name is Walter Wilson. He said, I'm a friend of your father-in-law. He said, is your husband at home? Well, she said, yes, he is. He said, well, uh, he sent me uh, to come by and just say hello to you and to say, just say howdy from, uh, from uh, your father-in-law, from your husband's uh, dad. She said, well, come on in. I guess she felt secure in letting the old gentleman in their house. And he came inside the house and they sat down and started talking. It was a matter of just mere moments that both Dr. Wilson and the young couple recognized he had the wrong house. They had the same last name, Johnson, he was looking for. He had the address, 612 uh, Oak Street. But the man that he referenced as the man's father, he goes, no, my father doesn't live in Kansas City. No, I'm not from, I don't. And all of a sudden the man said, oh, Dr. Wilson, I know exactly what's going on. He said, it's the strangest thing. You are on 612 East Oak Street. He said, it's the most unique thing. On the other side of that last intersection over there, it's West Oak Street. 612 West Oak Street. He said, believe it or not, there's a family by the name of Johnson. He said, we sometimes get their mail and they sometimes get our mail. He said, it's the most unique thing. He goes, that's the home you're looking for. He said, that is so funny. He stood up and as he did, he looked back down at the table and he had seen an open Bible in front of him. He had noticed when he first came in that this young couple had tears in their eyes. The lady had been crying. He said, before I leave, he said, you two look, you look troubled. And I see the Bible. Is there something I can help you with? And they looked up at Dr. Wilson, a complete stranger, but they said, sir, we're having troubles in our marriage. We don't know what to do. And we know people use the Bible for various things and we were just flipping through trying to find something that maybe could help us to hold our marriage together. Dr. Wilson said, I know what you need. You need my Savior. And he introduced them to Jesus Christ. And they both accepted Christ and their marriage was strengthened as a result. Walter Wilson wrote in his journal, as he kept one constantly, he wrote in his journal later on, he said, I had the wrong address, but I had the right house. Because along the pathway of life, we intersect people who don't have peace, who need peace. Jesus said, I'm, I'm leaving you my peace. You're going to need this. 
And it's far superior to anything you're going to find elsewhere. And it's accessed because of, by faith. Take it. Give it out to others. So if tonight everything is smooth sailing for you, I'm happy. Just give it time. Because in time you're going to find yourself needing peace. For many of you tonight, you needed this. And even if you refused to admit it, admit it to anybody else, you know in your own heart there's a state of upheaval and unsettledness one way or another. Jesus said, I give you my peace. Father, I pray for my friends tonight. Lord, I sought you both last night and this afternoon making sure this is what we needed to do tonight and go through. Father, would you please comfort your people as only you can. I don't know what it is they may be going through. I don't know what they're struggling with, but I pray that you'll give us a sense of comfort and peace that allows our Christian life to move forward with full velocity. Help us, Lord, not to be living in a state of upheaval and, and, and like driving a car with the brake on because we're just so full of worry and anxious moments. Lord, would you please help us to incorporate what is available to us? It's your peace. Our heads are bowed.